Hey everyone, it's Adam Farkas along with Paul Farkas. Hi everyone. And welcome to another edition of OD Wire Radio. And today, Paul, this talk is all about technology. Oh, well, really? <laughs> <laughs> Scary topic for you, I know. Um, but before we get into the talk, I'd like to thank Marco uh, for sponsoring today's show. And this is actually the first of a three-part series uh, all about technology and your practice uh, and how it can uh, improve efficiency and uh, I think you're going to find this, these talks pretty interesting. So Yeah, and just a few words about Marco. Uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the Marco family, they've been around for a long time, as long as I've been in practice. Oof. And uh, they are a terrific, terrific company. They really stand by their product. And whatever they, uh, they offer, you can take it to the bank. They're really a great company. So with that said... Maybe I want to start with the first question. Well, hang on. We have, to, we have to introduce our We have to introduce our guest. Because God knows, Paul, you're not going to talk about technology yourself. You're for sure. <laughs> so, um, so our speaker today is actually uh, John Warren. Um, and you may all know John Warren. Um, he's in private optometric practice in Racine, Wisconsin, uh, where he's practiced since 1992. And he's a big tech maven. He, he likes to keep on top of all the tech issues uh, in eye care. But the most important thing that you may know about John is that he was a co-founder of Revolution EHR, which I know many of you are using to drive your practice. So, John, thanks so much for being here today. Sure. Glad to join you. It's uh, always fun to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is technology. Great. So why don't we let the tech-ignorant Paul lead off and sort of ask you some questions? You know, the, the, we're going to be discussing a little bit during this time about efficiency in practice. Uh, and sometimes it's good to start from ground zero. Uh, could you describe your practice, where it's located, and, and your staffing? Sure. Um, I'm a, a currently a single doctor uh, optometric practice. Um, I've gone from one doc, one optometrist to two optometrists, and then to adding an ophthalmologist, who uh, then got out of primary care and I purchased his practice. So my patient base is extremely varied, but I'm a one-doctor practice. Uh, I have uh, three full-time staff members that work with me, uh, one who basically runs the, op the optical, one who is my my uh, hands in the exam room, the technician and technical support, and then a third who really runs the front desk and manages inbound outbound phone calls and checks patients in, uh, processes them at the end of, of uh, encounters and things that way. So we run a pretty lean and mean ship. Um, I see patients about four days a week, uh, spread, you know, spread on some kind of different hours to uh, work with my, my lifestyle. I've decided to practice on my own terms and, and work when it's efficient for me and, and try to be free when my family wants me to be available, which now that my children are teenagers is less and less. But, um, you know, I, I try, to, try to run an efficient ship and really try to be available for patients when they want, to be, want me and try not to be here when they don't want me to be available. So I, I try to work hard when I'm here and, and uh, try to not be here when there's not hard work to do. Right. And why don't we start talking from the beginning, uh, when, you, when you started your practice way back when. Um, I imagine your workflow back then was a little bit different from what it is right now. Can you describe what you walked into back in the 90s? Yeah, I, I actually joined an ophthalmology practice, and, and it was kind of nice because I got to pretty much see and do everything. And I got exposed to some technology that I'd only really seen in optometry school. And uh, really started working with topography kind of right away and, and got my feet wet technology-wise. But three and a half years later, I left an open practice here in Racine, Wisconsin. I went about two miles away from where I'd been. And it was a, a, friendly, a friendly separation, so it wasn't a, you know, you son of a gun, don't you ever come back here again thing. Actually, the ophthalmologist that was in my practice was my, my boss when I first came out of school. Um, and when I opened up, I had, you know, a chair stand, slit lamp, four opter, um, keratometer, you know, your traditional, you know, had been the same way for 45 years type of lane. 
and almost immediately added topography and sold my carotometer. And uh, at that time, made a commitment in my practice to use less technology for my patient's benefit and for my benefit also. And so when new technology has come out over the last 20 years, I've, you know, I haven't been the first guy to buy it necessarily, but I certainly take a look in, at, at everything that comes out and, and see if it's a fit for my practice. So I've gone from that traditional, well, you know, ultramatic four-opter, slit lamp and carotometer lane um, to, you know, really having pretty much all of the electronic, uh, I, don't, I don't really like to call them bells and whistles, but the electronic tools at my disposal to uh, improve the patient experience and streamline the process. Right. And in terms of those tools, how much of your time is actually spent using them versus farming it out to assistants? Um, I haven't actually done a time study, but I would say my technician spends about, of, of the time of patients in the office working with someone related to exam, you know, exam uh, activities, uh, this technician does about 60% of that. I do about 40%. Um, that'll obviously vary based on the patient type, the type of encounter and the, the, the patient that presents himself. But my technician gathers an, an a, a really large amount of data from the patients during, uh, you know, the, the check-in or the, I don't really like to call it pre-testing, but the check-in and initial examination phase of the encounter. How open-minded are, are the technicians when you add a, a little bit of new technology? Uh, do they just fold their arms and say, no, this will never work for me? Uh, and how do you encourage them to, to embrace it rather than fight it? Well, when they fight it, I ask them whose name's on the door, and they very quickly decide to follow my lead. Um, <laughs> however, uh, you know, actually, one of the things I do whenever I add technology is I try to try to take it from the, the, the employee's point of view as I'm getting them, you know, warmed up and ready for the technology. I'll try to always let them know when I make the decision to add something, you know, really what it is and how it's going to impact their day, whether it's going to create more work for them or less work. And actually, most of the things I bring in uh, – don't necessarily create more work. It a lot of times retasks them from doing, you know, two things on separate machines to doing three things on one machine or um, uh, things like that. So um, my 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 staff kind of doesn't enjoy the technology side of things, but you know I always try to explain to the staff here's what we're here's what I'm bringing in and here's why and here's how it's going to how it's going to impact you so that it's not you know that the box shows up on the pallets in the, in the front lobby and they go what in the world did he bring in. Um, I don't ask them for permission to bring it in, but I usually get them involved pretty early uh, to let them know what we're going to be adding so they have an idea what they're getting into. Right. And when you get a new piece of equipment, do you sort of actively think about how it's going to be worked into the workflow of your office? I know a lot of folks buy a piece of equipment and then they really don't know how to integrate it in with what they're doing. You know, I, I, tend, to, I tend to look at that the absolute opposite. I actually try to, before I decide I'm getting something, I want to, see, I want to mentally decide how I will use it and try to project myself into the use pattern for the technology. Uh, when I, when I uh, brought in a, a new Fundus camera that we do screening photos with, uh, the Marco AFC 330, which has been a great thing, and I'm going to talk about that as far as efficiencies go, um, you know, I actually tried to, I, I wanted to work it into my workflow and also my, my clinical protocols before I even decided to get the camera. And, you know, how is this going to impact my revenue stream? How is it going to impact my patient flow? How is it going to impact, you know, everything that way? Um, and then actually make the decision to purchase. I've, there, there have been devices I really, really wanted to buy over the years but didn't because I couldn't make it work in either the clinical flow or the business model of the practice. So I try to take a look at all of those things before I decide that I want to, I want to buy something or bring it in. Um, because there are some things that, I, you know, you bring in and it just it creates all kinds of nightmares patient flow-wise. 
I think I've deconstructed my patient encounter probably five times in the last six years and, and changed the order we do things. Um, one of the things, as Paul mentioned about Marco, is that the area manager that I have um, has been wonderful as far as helping me decide how should I use this technology. You know, you can have the greatest um, the workflow, workflow process, but in, until it's actually packaged up, and, and it's called the, the one I'm using now is called Xfraction, um, actually really streamlines things and makes it much more quick, much more quick, and has some benefits we'll talk about. Um, but actually, Chris has been a really good resource for that because he's in hundreds of practices and sees how other people do things and, and, and can make recommendations for things that he thinks may work or won't work in my practice. So um, between colleagues, myself, and then um, some of the, the tech support from industry, I, I try to do that ahead of time to, to not really say, great, I got this tool, how do I use it? Right. So that, that's actually an interesting point. You know, a lot of us go to trade shows, we see shiny new equipment and we think I've got to have it, but we don't really actually know how it's going to work until it's too late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 and then you, you, you may decide, boy, I should have bought either the better one or the cheaper one or the different company's version of something because it would have fit in here better. Um, you know, Marco makes a wonderful device called the M3. It's an autorefractor, autocaratometer, and a, an MCT built into one. I'd love to have it, but then I'd have to replace something else in my exam flow. Uh, you know, it would take the place of my aberrometer. And so it's, it wouldn't make sense for me, even though I really want it, to, to purchase that because it doesn't play well with the other Marco equipment that I have. I mean, technology-wise it does, but workflow-wise it doesn't. Um, so, you know, that's one of those things to just always keep in mind. So, so once you have all this data that your, your staff has gathered for you, uh, how do you manage to put it into your, your procedure? So getting all this pre-testing stuff all put together. Let, let me walk you through it just a little bit as we go, as we, a patient would go through the encounter. I think that'll help you understand when, it, when I'd get involved with the data. Um, when a patient shows up for a, you know, a, a typical comprehensive eye exam, the staff will check them in and review insurance information and, and that sort of thing. They'll do an interactive interview that gathers information about their expectations for their exam and the problems they're having. But then this, the, the, techni the technician staff picks up the patient and we'll bring them back to a room that is dedicated to patient check-in. And that room has um, the uh, OPD, OPD3 aberrometer, it's got the lens meter, it has the fundus camera, and it has an endothelial cell camera, all in that room, along with a chair for the patient to sit in. And then my staff has a work, a work desk and we also have an a, a acuity projector running acuity pro so that they can they can check the patient in so we don't use an exam room to start these encounters we never tie up the room that has the refraction system in it and the staff then does visual acuities and then the next thing they do after visual acuities is they instill uh, dilating drops um, you typically every other year one year it's pyramid the other year it's phenylephrine if it's a patient that's here for a well vision type exam um, after that's done, they review medications, take a brief patient history, do uh, blood pressure um, to get the patient checked in. Um, I think I said review medications, uh, do a family history, social history. Uh, then the aberrometry is done. Uh, and the OPD3 is really the, the beginning of what's called the extraction process. And that's where we start gathering the, the objective data. Um, and it gathers uh, autorefraction in three different zones, a central, a three millimeter, and a five millimeter autorefraction. Um, and then also topography, pupil size, and external eye image um, gets pupil size in dim light and, and in uh, bright light and <clears throat> saves all that information to a database that's off of the device that can then be accessed throughout the, the office with viewer software. And that kind of answers part of your question how I access this information. It's through software that lets me review all the aberrometry data. So 
the three autorefractions, the RMS values or root mean square values for three millimeters and five millimeters. I can also view the um, whether there's been a significant change in sphere, cylinder, or axis at any of the three autorefractions. Um, the staff then performs lensometry, and at the completion of lensometry, that, that data and the autorefraction data from the uh, OPD3 is all sent to the, the refraction system. So all of this data stays tightly packaged and integrated within one system uh, to be used for the extraction. And then I also can review all the aberrometry, the topography data, um, do change analysis, basically an entire manipulation of the data, which I usually start in my private office. So while my staff's been gathering this information, I'll be reviewing the history, reviewing if it's a, a returning patient, why they're coming back, you know, is it just a routine exam or are they a follow-up with something. And at that point, um, the screening photos are done, the, and the uh, endothelial cell screening is done, and then they're taken to the actual exam room where I see the patient. So we at no point tie up the room with the refraction system in it so that we can continually load that room as needed with those patients. Wow, um, impressive. But, uh, but, one question I have, uh, how frequently do you do this? Uh, this sounds great for a brand new patient. Uh, a, a former patient, how, how often would you go through the same procedure with them? Typically at a comprehensive exam or annually um, is when we usually do this. You know, reviewing, reviewing a lot of the EHR data, um, and this isn't a plug for my system, doesn't matter which system you use. Once you have baseline data and they're reviewing and, 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 and uh, entering data for them, it's fairly quick. The OPD3 gathers all that information in about 30 seconds. So it doesn't take very long to get topography, auto-refractions and things done. It's an automated lensometer, so that's another 30 seconds or so to, to gather that info. Um, screening photos take another minute or two. Um, you know, and the endothelial cell screening we do once if it's normal. We don't repeat that on an annual basis. Um, so we do most of this on every one of our patients that's here for a comprehensive exam. And I wanted to have all that information, but one of the things I wanted to be sure of was that, that um, I could get patients through their patient encounter as quickly as possible, not to rush them out, but basically in, in uh, respect for their time, you know, to not have them be here for an hour, hour and 20 minutes for an eye exam. And that's why I, I made a, a big change about the time I started doing the actual extraction process for my refractions of uh, dilating the patients at the beginning of the encounter. So that when I see the patient, pick the patient up in the exam room, um, I reviewed all this information. I know whether or not they have spherical aberration, they have coma, they have trefoil, all of those sort of things before I even go in the exam room. So I already have an idea of how well I'm going to be able to make this patient see. Right. And this sounds very different from, say, Paul's office in its heyday in terms of the, the patient workflow. How do you think from the patient's perspective this looks? They love it. Um, the, you know, we, we do uh, after-encounter surveys that, you know, they get sent electronically uh, to their email address, and, and we just continually get patients saying, I love how efficient you are. I love how you use technology. You know, I was there. I got in. I got out, and I had a comprehensive exam, and, and patients love it. In, in Racine, I, you know, a lot of them, if they go to a, a, an ophthalmology office or a, a medically-oriented optometry office, they're there for an hour and a half or two hours. And much of that time is spent spinning their wheels, waiting to dilate, waiting for the doctor to be available. Um, you know, we almost never run more than five minutes behind schedule unless the true emergency comes in or, you know, something happens to a patient. Um, and it's, you know, we can get an awful lot of data collected very quickly at the front of the exam. And that's why I say that the, the tech spends about 60% of the time. 
our average patient for a well vision visit from the time they come in until the time they're ready to be in the optical is about 18 to 20 minutes. Um, and patients love that fact that, that they're here, you know, for an hour or less. They like coming in for exams, or they should say they don't mind it, but they don't want to be here forever. Can, can I just and, ask, can I, I'm sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. but I have oh, to ask, because I'm, I'm sure that everyone else is wondering too, how are you actually timing this? Because it sounds like you have this down to a science. If I wanted to do this in my own office, how can I actually measure all this stuff? Um, you know, there's, there's, there are ways to look in your EHR to see when things were done. Um, and I've actually had people kind of keep an eye on what's going on. I'll see what time the patient, you know, I, I can see when the exam started and I know when I picked the patient up um, and I can see how long that is. And then we have metrics in the software to just check off when they go through different steps in the workflow. So I can see when it was started, when it was ended, those kind of things. Um, but what I did, and, and this was actually one of, the, one of the things that Marco really helped me with is I brought this technology in and, and I've been using an aberometer and a refraction system. Um, for six years now was, you know, I said, how am I going to put this in my practice? And, and one of the things I tried to do was, was divide this patient encounter into different segments and try to make sure the resources I needed for those segments of the encounter were present and available. It doesn't make any sense to have three patients show up at one time for a comprehensive exam if they all have to go through the same process or same sequence. Um, so we try to build our schedule for patient arrivals and patient departures to, to time them out. And, and granted, patients don't always show up on time. Sometimes they're early and sometimes they're late. Um, but, you know, we tend to run pretty much on schedule by trying to allot resources, whether it's a person, meaning me, or it's a room that has the extraction technology in it for the staff or that I use to make sure we don't have two people needing the same sort of technology at the same time. And that, that's really where a lot of practices fall down on this is, um, you know, they'll either schedule the same kind of encounter too close together or they'll do wave scheduling, which works in some settings, but it wouldn't work for me where you have four people show up between 9 and 9.15 and then no one else for the hour and you just work through them as, you know, as you can. Um, but I, I try to divide that patient encounter and, I, and I've gone so far as to try to take a look at what happens from the minute the phone rings until, until the patient, you know, has the door closed behind them, what happens at every step of that encounter and then try to figure out ways to package them. You know, should we do step one with step, what's traditionally been step five? You know, should we make step five, step two? Um, and we, we're continually shuffle, shuffling that as we add technology or change technology out. So does your scheduling software programmatically enforce those rules about different kinds of encounters, or you just drill it into your staff's head that this is what you want done? No, when they, when they go to look, let's say you called, Adam, let's say you called up to say, I, I want to see Dr. Warren because my vision's kind of blurry and I think I need better glasses. Uh, they would they would pick the type of encounter that you're going to come in for based on their quick little triage that they would do on the phone, and then they'll only the software will only present them with uh, appointment slots that meet those criteria, the type of encounter, um, and the day and time that you want to come in. So we don't eyeball and say, well, it looks like there's an opening at 10:15 tomorrow. It's you know the software returns this is what's available, and that's what helps that's what helps preserve the integrity of that timing. So it's an extremely efficient system. Now, now, what happens when you find an abnormality in in the midst of all the testing? Well, you know, one of the beauties of of the more efficient uh, extraction is that my my time for actually, you know, is it better this way or that way through the refraction is down to about three minutes. Um, that's typically the longest refraction. Some of them are quicker. By utilizing the wavefront optimized auto refraction, not only am I closer to the final result when I start the refraction, but I also know is it what's the likelihood that I'm going to need to refine the cylinder or that I'm going to have to do to do other testing for patients. 
Um, many times if the patient has a clean enough optical system, meaning no cataracts, no corneal abnormalities, um, I'll, I'll present the, the chart that goes 20, 30, 25, 20, 20. I say, can you read the top line pretty well? I say, yes. I do a red-green sphere check, and I check acuity, and if it's a strong 20, 20, I go to the other eye and do the same thing on the other eye. At any point, if, if I expect this patient to see a strong 20-20 and they don't, I can then go check and refine the cylinder as needed. Um, so what I've done is, is I've bought time in my encounter to spend with the patient to discuss orthokeratology or the drusen in their macula or their kid's soccer game or, or other things. I, as I added technology and got more efficient, um, it wasn't so that I could necessarily see a lot more patients per day, per week, or per month, but it's that I have more time to spend with the patient and uh, really discussed either things related to eye care or things totally not related to eye care, um, whatever, whatever that, that appointment drives. So the idea is to really free me up to spend more time, more quality time with the patient. And by using the extraction process, which lets the quick refractions be real quick and the longer ones not be real long, um, it, it greatly speeds things up and frees up that time. So, so when all is said and done, we're now getting uh, close to the end of the exam, uh, how's your remake rates and your optical sales when when this when you're I, using the system? I had two two real concerns when I when I made some of the switches in my my uh, my process. One was the, the the early dilation of the patient. You know, was this going to impact the results that I get? And I have not seen any you know any changes. I'm, I'm not over minusing or under minusing people. You know, any any different than you know we might have might have had them before. Um, but I am doing, I am modifying prescriptions to some degree because of the extraction and the wavefront data that I have by knowing that the patient's central autorefraction might, might be a minus three and at the five millimeter zone it's a minus four. And that happens a lot. I mean, you know, Paul, you remember the days of night blindness and, you know, learning about the World War II fighter pilots and all the, the other things we learned about with night blindness. And it was the fact that these guys were aspheric and, you know, in, in bright light flying. You know, flying in the bright sunny day, they're a minus two, or actually back then probably Plano, and but at night they were a minus half or minus three quarters, and their night vision went to pot. So knowing that information going into the refraction helps me speed it up, but it also helps me make recommendations. Um, someone who drives a truck for a UPS around here, um, it does a lot of either early early morning or late evening driving in dusk dusk and low light situations. I may actually recommend a slightly stronger nearsighted prescription if they're young. Or I may may recommend a second prescription for them to wear as it gets dark out because they become more nearsighted. So it, it's one of those things where having all the information lets me actually do things more quickly, and it lets me avoid those remakes. You know, the over minuses, the under minuses. Um, the other concern I had was was really going to a quicker quicker refraction, and I've been doing that even longer than the pre pre dilation or early dilation, and I really haven't seen any change in remake rates. You know, from a marketing point of view, I, I was just thinking that if you have techies in your neighborhood, you should be able to corner the market with this particular procedure. They, they should be so excited uh, to seeing what, what goes on in your office versus other practices. Do you yeah, find but we all, we all know the flip side of working with lots of engineers and refractions. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, uh, you know, the, the, the younger generation, it, it's amazing. And by younger, I really mean 50 and under. Um, w when things are done, they go, Wow. That was that was easier. That was quick, or that was you know, um, and and they're not saying it like that's all you're going to do. They're like that's all we have to do. We're done. This is great. You know, I I can go back to work or I can go do what I want to do. I'm actually looking at at doing a, a marketing program in town. Actually, at the seniors, 
because um, the seniors don't like being here forever either. They might have a, a neighbor or a friend that has to, or a family member has to drive them to and from the appointment. So the quicker they can be back on the road, the better. And, you know, I, I'm, we're pretty proud of the fact you don't sit in the waiting room here and have to wait for things to happen. And I'm actually going to start marketing that aspect, you know, the efficiencies to um, some of the seniors because, you know, they're, they're the ones sitting in a lot, of the, a lot of the surgeon's offices for two and a half hours just for a routine eye exam to be told their cataracts are fine. So it, it is really, it's, it's, an, it's an internal, mar- internal and external marketable uh, sort of thing. So have you learned anything special uh, through this whole process? I mean, would, if you had to do over again, what a question. Would you do it again? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would, I would have done it sooner knowing what I know now. Um, you know, I, I kind of held back on the, on the adding dilation early on, being afraid it was going to affect my, my refractions. But because I know so much about the, about the patient and their, their, their visual system before I even, you know, spin the first dial on the refractor, um, you know, it helps me avoid those issues. And, I, and I was also concerned about, you know, what would patients think about the change? And, and frankly, patients remember, you know, they, they, they know they can get an eye exam from a lot of places. And when they're done, the, the thing that really compare people to is, are my glasses, do they look okay, and can I see well out of them? Otherwise, they don't have any way to really compare the encounter other than whether the doctor was nice or had bad breath or, you know, was rude <laughs> or, was, or was slow. Sure. Um, and, and I try to always give them a reason to want to come to my office and pay my fee. And by doing something that actually is different and is perceived by the patient as better or superior, it actually helps me helps me do that, helps me sell the practice to them. As a um, tech expert, uh, would, if you had to give Marco any advice, what else would you like to see in your office that they could give you? What sort of improvements would you like to see on what you're doing? Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, refra- the, for- the refractor head works wonderfully. The, uh, and I think they're working on this. The, the pad that controls the refractor works just fine. But things have changed so much. You know, all the data that, I, that we have available um, and it gets passed through the EHR, um, I'm hoping in the, in the near future, and I think it's coming pretty soon, uh, to, to be able to display some of the RMS values and things right on the control pad um, of the, the refraction unit, the, the extraction brains, basically. Um, but it's, you know, they've, one of the things they've done is that every step of the way, they're very meticulous in planning and how will changing this affect that. And they've done a pretty good job of putting this technology together. Um, and they're always looking for new ways to do things. It's always kind of fun to talk with them about different stuff. Great. Well, John, thanks so much for talking to us today about efficiencies and about your office. And I hope the conversation continues on ODWire, where maybe you can give some folks some more concrete tips on how you did it, because I know everyone's pretty fascinated by it. Good. No problem. Okay. We'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks, John. Yep. 